following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Um, all right, well, so we're going to get to work now. Fun's over. Uh, we're going to be going back to 1 Timothy. We're going to begin chapter 6. This is our last chapter in the letter to, to Timothy. Um, that's uh, page 993 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Um, and it's hard to imagine, but we are coming to the end, uh, towards the end of this great epistle uh, from Paul to uh, young Timothy who was left in the church in Ephesus to, uh, to kind of set things in order. Um, and so far uh, in our study of this letter, we've seen that Timothy has been instructed on uh, various uh, many groups within the church, uh, elders and deacons and widows. And now he turns to what uh, possibly could have been the largest group within the church at Ephesus, and that's slaves. Um, so unlike uh, Paul's other teachings on slaves, which we have gone through in the past, um, Paul doesn't address the masters. He only focuses on the slaves uh, those who are under the yoke of slavery. So let's read that text and then we'll pray some more. I hope you like praying. <laughs> Good. So First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have Believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, again, we ask that your spirit would be at work uh, on our hearts this morning. Um, pray that you'd speak to us through your word. Um, Lord, we just ask that... Uh, you would show us uh, more how to mature and how to live uh, like Jesus. That, uh, as Craig already mentioned, that as we are refined, you would see your reflection in us. Um, and Lord, we, you know that these uh, things we talk about this morning are a big part of that. It's a big part of our lives. And uh, so we trust you with this, Lord. May we hear from you, and soften our hearts to receive the message you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so slavery. This is going to be fun. Uh, just at the outset, to be clear, the New Testament does not condone slavery. It doesn't say, slavery is okay, everybody, so go for it. It's not, not in there, not even in the message. You won't find it in any paraphrase. It's not there. However, the New Testament does recognize that slavery does exist uh, and that many slaves within the Roman Empire had become believers in Christ and brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, now, theologically speaking, it has been established uh, in the New Testament that there are no castes uh, in, in, in Christ. There are no class divisions. It's not like there's the masters are up here and the slaves are down here. The free men are up here 
and, and the, the non-free men are down here. That's, that's not, um, that no longer exists. Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 27 and 28, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I've said it before, and I'm sure you heard it before I said it, is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Nobody has a, a better access to the Lord uh, than, than someone else. But that doesn't change the fact that for the church in Ephesus, as well as churches in the rest of the Roman Empire, slavery was a very real and potentially harsh reality. Scholars believe that there are over 6 million slaves in the Roman Empire. That's over half the population. That means one out of every two, for you math people, one out of every two people was a slave. Well, I know math is challenging, so that's 50%. Of, is it, so this does not compute with us, does it? Like, you look around, and the person next to you and on the other side of them was a slave when he looked around a church um, meeting. All right? Now, again, I will say that nowhere in the Bible is, is slavery condoned, but neither is it directly condemned. There is no thou shalt not own slaves um, in there, anywhere. But the reality is that the preaching of the gospel and the, the, uh, the preaching of freedom in Christ in the Roman Empire, slowly and subtly overturned slavery in Rome, which eventually led to the fall of the empire. The Roman Empire itself was, they were uh, dependent on slavery in order for the, the empire to run. And the teaching of the gospel, the way of Christ and the apostles, overturned slavery um, because the practice of slavery is contrary to the gospel. There was no crusade. There was no war. There were no picket signs or protests. Just the preaching of the gospel to every creature. And to overturn the practice of slavery. The truth is that the gospel was and is the cure to all social ills. Slavery included. I just, you know, there's a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ, well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ, that feel that waving a sign is what's going to overturn the practice of evil in our world. And it won't. It perpetuates evil. It doesn't help. It only makes those lines deeper. However, the preaching of the gospel and people coming to faith in Christ, that's what will turn things over. Do you really think that to wave a sign at an abortion clinic is going to shut it down? I bet if you preach the gospel in love to an abortion doctor and they come to faith in Christ, they're not going to practice abortion anymore. Yeah. This is exactly what happened with slavery in the Roman Empire, and it came to fall of the whole thing. That's how it should work. Well, the temptation and what Paul addresses here in 1 Timothy was for slaves who had come to faith in Jesus to try to translate their 
newfound spiritual freedom into literal freedom, uh, to reject the authority that was over them. And this is um, this is part of the problem. Um, that to say, well, I was a slave, but now I'm free, so I don't have to listen to you anymore. Well, that's not so. As it says in Romans 13, 1 and 2, speaking of the authority held, um, this is speaking of the authority held by the government, but the principle is the same. Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, those that exist, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. There is no authority at all, anywhere, except from God. Those authorities, whether they are wicked or cruel, or good and benevolent, they are established by God. We would do well to remember that. However, the gospel does, does transform the status of slaves. It may not literally set them free, but it does transform their status. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we are all made to drink of the one spirit. And again from Galatians 3, 26 to 28. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That should sound familiar to you. Now, the truth is that through the gospel, through faith in Christ, we are all made one. It doesn't matter if you're uh, an owner of slaves or a slave yourself. When you come to faith in Christ, you are made one, the same kind. There are no castes, no levels of social classes, no social division in the eyes of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are all the same. I think maybe that's kind of an easy concept for us to grasp way up here where life is uh, a little homogenous and there isn't slavery that we're aware of, but there is, whether we're aware of it or not. Hmm. But this was groundbreaking. This was earth-shattering for the people in Ephesus because things were not the same there as they are here. Now, the only kind of slavery in God's eyes is slavery to sin, from which we are set free through faith in Jesus alone. However, the reality in the church in Ephesus was that, socially speaking, slavery still existed, and those who were under the yoke of slavery needed to know how to relate to those who were over them, uh, and that was to regard their masters as worthy of honor. Now, I know, I don't want to uh, um, reflect my emotion about this issue on you, but 
I think to be a master of a slave, that's gross. That's just wrong, right? It, it, it just, ah, how could you possibly do that and live with yourself? But Paul says, the Spirit says through the Apostle Paul that slaves were to honor their masters, to consider them as worthy of all honor, not some slimy dirtbag, but to honor them and respect them. And the word honor is the same Greek word translated honor in regards to the elders of the church and the widows of the church that we've looked at over the last few weeks. It's the same word. But there, but no, slave owners are bad people, right? Just as the church at large was to respect the elders and the widows, those who were slaves were to respect their masters so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled or blasphemed. Matthew Henry wrote, If professors of religion misbehave themselves, the name of God and his doctrine are in danger of being blasphemed by those who seek occasion to speak evil of that worthy name by which we are called. Unbelievers, the people that are uh, kind of, um, I don't know the word, aggressively opposed to Christ? How, do you, how are you polite about that? People that are antagonistic towards the church are looking for occasion to blaspheme, to smear the name of God. And you know what occasion we often give them? It's our own misbehavior. Mm. Yeah, watch out. Unbelieving masters might say, what kind of God must be the God of Christians when such are the fruits of his worship, when the people misbehave? J.P. Lang also wrote, Christianity does not abolish slavery at once in opposition to law, but on the contrary, the slave must, through their Christian conduct, offer a living letter of commendation to be read by all of the true and living character of Christianity. Well, if you're paying attention or are awake, you may be wondering, I'm not going to read this into what you're thinking now because I know you're probably thinking about lunch. Uh, you may be wondering, how does any of this apply to me? I'm no slave. I'm not a master. This is about first century people, and we don't really deal with that anymore, do we? Hmm? Yeah, it's always a trick question. Hmm. Well, perhaps... Um, Perhaps you're not thinking about that. Perhaps you're retired, or perhaps you're disabled, or maybe a kid living at home, or maybe independently wealthy. But the rest of us are what Ray Steadman called wage slaves. We hire ourselves out, our talents, our abilities, our crafts. If you don't think that you're a, a, a type of slave, stop showing up for work and see what happens. You know, they'll stop giving you that money. These principles all apply to us that are or should be uh, in submission to those who are in authority over us, especially at work. It's safe and easy to practice our godliness here in church. Right? We can get away with it. We can use a different kind of language. We can speak Christianese here, and people are okay with that. Why don't we start talking about penal substitutionary atonement at work? Huh? Right? We speak much more loudly of our, 
of our dedication to the Lord Jesus when our faith infiltrates and fuels our work. That is practical godliness. How many of you have ever had a boss? Show me your hand. How many of you have ever had a boss you thought was an idiot? How dare you, people? That's so rude. I can't believe you say that. Oh, a bad boss. How do you treat a bad boss? Mm. I wasn't asking for questions. Be quiet. <laughs> How you treat them reflects your faith. How you treat a, a boss that is bad or asks you to do weird, bad things or things you, you don't know how to do or can't do or it just doesn't make any sense. How you treat them reflects how you believe. It reflects on the name of God. It re reflects on the gospel and the teaching of Christ. The gospel does not stop with, this is how you get saved, and then we dunk you in the water, and then good luck. That's, that's not it. The, continue, the gospel continues on. It continues on to how to live for God's glory once you are saved. Because that is, is going to be our theme for eternity. Right? How to live in, in worship of God. So that's verse 1. Verse 2 says, Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit, benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. I think it's harder to work for a Christian boss than for a non-Christian boss. I've had both. The instruction here for them and for us is to not to expect nor exploit nepotism. Do you know what nepotism is? It's favor given to relatives when it comes to work. Like a family gets a special favor. Um, I hired my nephew to do this job even though he's totally incapable of doing anything at all, right? Um, but he got the job because he's family. This is exactly what it's been talked about here, is to not expect special favor because those to whom you are employed are Christians. Christians who work for other Christians should not slack off because their boss is a believer. And if they do anything wrong, well, they'll forgive me because they have to. That's what Christians do, right? So I'm going to steal from the company and it'll be all right. That's not it at all. No one is owed special treatment. If a Christian works for another Christian, they should work all the harder for them because those who benefit from their good service are believers and beloved because their success is your success, right? Now, this might, again, that particular instance might not apply to you, but I bet this does. Have you ever expected special treatment in the marketplace from believers? Like, I'm going to go to a, to a Christian dentist because they're, they're going to treat me better. I used to be in a band with her dentist. It was wonderful. But that's not... Uh, anyway, sorry. I, I heard a story about a believer needed some work done on a car. Uh, and someone recommended a mechanic who was a believer. And after the work was done and the bill was presented, the customer was very upset. The work was, was done and it was fine, but the mechanic didn't give them a discount for being a Christian. <laughs> like you should, how about 10% off? We're brother in Christ. You should pay more to support them. 
I, it just we shouldn't expect discounts. We should pay extra for the benefit of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's important. Um, I don't know. And the principle is the same for those with Christian employers. It's our hard work. It's our positive attitudes. It's our reliance on Christ in all things that brings glory to him and benefit to ourselves and to our employers. Christians should be the hardest working people and should have a rep, uh, reputation for being the most reliable Hardest working, most dedicated people. Why is that? Because it reflects on Christ. It reflects on the name of God. The problem that we have is we want to separate these things. I have my church me, and I have my work me, and I have my my family me, right? And my watching football me, because that does not go near the church me because this got really foul mouth yelling at the TV. We like to split things up. And that's not the way of Christ. We're the same. We should be the same. We should be the same. Sit here, sit at work, sit at a traffic light, sit at the dump, wherever you happen to be. We should bring glory and honor to Christ all the time. Christians should be the most generous we should be the best employees. We should, because we are all billboards for Christ. We have His name painted across us. Everything we do reflects on our Savior. Everything. Let's bring glory to Him through practical godliness. That's how we live, how we work, how we worship, what we find ourselves doing, how we interact with other people. That's making the gospel practical. And that is our responsibility. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, first of all, I pray that you would forgive us for splitting our lives up into little slivers. And uh, for those of us that act one way and one um context and in and and another way and in another one. Lord, help us to be consistent and consistently reflect Christ in every situation of our lives, whether we're an employee or an employer or retired or disabled or whatever status of life you have us in. I pray that we would be the same, the same person, the same child of God in every situation and context. And we need your help to do that because it's so tempting to not act that way. To feel like it's okay to act differently or a way that's not honoring to you uh, in some context. But we can't get away with that here. I, I just pray, Lord, you would help us to not live like that. But to be your children 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year on and on until eternity. Because we don't want our words to be empty words when we say we love you. May we prove that by the way that we live all the time. We love you, Lord, and thank you. And we beg for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. 
you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.